You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. People who haven't had experience with mental illness don't understand how ambivalent the person who's going through it can feel. You know, people say, was it a good experience or a bad experience for you being in the hospital? And that question just doesn't have a yes-no answer. It's both. Girl interrupted author Susanna Kaysen today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Well, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And tomorrow, May 19th, is Mental Health Action Day. So today on Now I've Heard Everything, a 1994 conversation with the woman whose own mental health crisis inspired not only a best-selling book, but a major motion picture. In 1967, at the age of 18, Susanna Kaysen was hospitalized by her family for treatment for depression. She was told it would be for two weeks. She was actually there for 18 months after being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Some 25 years later, Kaysen drew upon her experience in that mental hospital for her best-selling memoir, Girl Interrupted. I met her the following year, so here now from 1994, Susanna Kaysen. And you've got that coveted banner across the top that says National, National Bestseller. bestseller. <laughs> did, that, did that surprise you? Oh, yeah, it sure did. I mean, it really amazed me. People sometimes wonder these days, fiction, nonfiction. This is clearly nonfiction. Yeah, it's a memoir. But it's a very troubling one. I, I, I read, I, I, I just, I could not put it down once I'd started it because I wanted to see, good heavens, what's going to happen next. And I think you allude to this at one point early in the book. People will, you could tell by the questions they're asking you and the, the kind of the things that they're, they're, what they really want to know is, yeah, could this happen to me? Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of people's worst fear is I'll go crazy. You know, it, it it really embodies a terrible sort of darkness that, that threatens people. I mean, I think some people don't ever think, well, am I going crazy? Maybe I'll go crazy. But I think there are plenty of people who do wonder, am I going crazy? Or is this going to make me crazy? And mean it. You know, and it really scares them. As well it should. It's a scary prospect. I think that's what scared me the most, was just the very straightforward way you presented it. I mean, you didn't try to beat us over the head with how scary it was. You didn't have to. All you had to do was describe it. It was scary. Does it feel for you now, looking back on those years, as though it were somebody else that this happened to? Well, a little bit. I think that's partly because it was such a long time ago. I mean, it was 25 years ago, and I'm supposedly a grown-up now, <laughs> and I was certainly a, a classic teenager then. You know, I was just the perfect angst, misery, self-absorption, you know, drama, 18-year-old, as many people are at that age. I, and and I, I think I've calmed down a bit <laughs> as life has progressed. So in, in, from that point of view alone, yes, it feels far away. Did you not find out until you began the book exactly what they had written down about you? Oh no, 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 no! Because I didn't get my records. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't even think to get my medical records. It never occurred to me. And then when I started writing the book, I thought, oh, those medical records. Oh, that Freedom of Information Act. <laughs> so I went after them. But I wrote most of the book before I read them because I didn't want to be influenced by them. I thought I, I thought they would kind of revise my memories. And in fact they did. I mean they sparked a lot of memories, but but I'm glad that I held off reading them until I'd written most of the book. I could as the as the parent of a teenage daughter myself, mm. 
I had to seriously ask myself, where is that dividing line between, as you said, normal teenage behavior, the angst, the, the, the rebellion, the, uh, the darkness at times, where's the dividing line between that and a mental illness? It's pretty hard to tell. It's pretty hard to tell. I, I think it's almost impossible to tell until later. You know, I mean, I don't mean to make, to say that being a teenager is a disease, but it, and I don't think it's a disease, but I think for many parents experience it as a disease in the family. But, you know, the, the, the troubles of, of the transition to adulthood usually die down at some point, 20, 21, 22. And, and at that point you say, oh, well, she had a, a tough adolescence. You know, it's hard, it's hard to say. Is this person heading for, cruising for a bruising or just, <laughs> just a pack of trouble? But I suppose if we, if, if you at age 39 went through the same kind of hormone changes that a mm -hmm. teenager is going through, you'd probably display a lot of the same kinds of behavior again, wouldn't I you? I think so. And I, I think even more than physiology, the whole question of, of being responsible for yourself for the first time and, both wanting to be responsible for yourself and being incapable of being responsible for yourself because you don't have any experience and they're vacillating between take care of me and leave me alone, don't tell me what to do. I mean, that's very confusing to people. On day one, did you take the doctor's word for it that it would only be a couple of weeks? Well, uh, yeah, I don't think I would have gone if they'd said, and get in this taxi cab and you can stay for two years. I would have said, no, thank you. But a couple of weeks sounded pretty good. But what 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 makes a couple of weeks stretch into a couple of months stretch into a couple of years? Well, I think because I think that's what a lot of people are also afraid of. Uh -huh. They're afraid that not only will I go crazy. I think I could go crazy if it was only for two weeks. But but <laughs> yes. no way am I going to sit in a doctor's office and and sign something that's going to put me away for two years. I think mm -hmm. that's what people are afraid of. That once they get in, they're not going to be able to get back out. Well, it's less likely these days because insurance policies have changed and. People aren't hospitalized for a long time. And, in fact, people who maybe could use a refuge from the world for, for maybe people who need help in living can't get it. You know, so I think that that's a bad thing. But it's a good thing in the sense that people who don't necessarily need the kind of help in living, they don't get locked up for long periods the way people did in the 60s. But it, but to answer your the initial question, you know, how did it, how did it go from a couple of weeks to a couple of years? <laughs> Uh, when I went in there, I went in on the couple weeks assumption, and it took a couple of weeks. In fact, it took, I think, a month for them to do a workup, which is like a physical workup, you know, a, a diagnostic workup. I don't know what they were doing during that period of time, but they were doing something. And at the end of, of that, of about a month, they said, well, you have a character disorder. You have a borderline personality, and it's going to take two years of hospitalization to fix you up. And And by then... I had got so acclimatized to hospital life and to my role as a patient. It's sort of like being kidnapped. I, I mean, I don't mean like alien abductions or something, but your, your world very quickly diminishes and changes. And I think within a week of being in the hospital, you, you have to accommodate to it. You have to accommodate right away. Because it's a, it's a potentially dangerous situation. You have very little control. You're really in other people's power. And if you don't learn the ropes pretty quickly and, and understand how you're supposed to be a mental patient, 
you're in trouble. And I labeled maladaptive uh, at that point. Well, yeah, you know, drugs, seclusion room. I mean, all these things were lurking in the background as possible treatments or events. Mm. Not, in, you know, I don't think that the staff saw this as punitive. I, I don't. It wasn't a snake pit. It was one of the most respected, prettiest, certainly hospitals in America. And and it wasn't an abusive, terrible atmosphere. But you you have to remember, you are a mental patient. You have lost many of your civil rights, and anything can happen. It was it was scary. So I I behaved pretty well. I didn't want to I, I didn't want to get on the bad side. <laughs> After this short break, a trigger warning. Susanna Kaysen talks about suicide. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Girl Interrupted author Susanna Kaysen. Well, one thing I thought of, what, what's that principle in science where the, the Heisenberg principle or whatever it is where you change something by the act of looking at it? Yes. I, is it Heisenberg? I don't know. Heisenberg or Heidelberg I, I, or, or well, I don't think Hindenburg? Or Hindenburg. Or <laughs> I don't know. Like that. <laughs> Schoenberg. <laughs> one, of the, one of those know, famous scientists yeah. who we can't remember. No, I do, yeah, I do know what you mean. That, the, but, that by observing the data, you you yeah, affect but, it. But but yeah. I mean, does the same uh, broadly held? Does the same principle apply here? That by by confining you in circumstances that you're not used to, and submitting uh, and subjecting you to rules that you're not accustomed mm-hmm. to, and a way of life that you're not accustomed to, that they can change the behavior they're trying to study. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you popped anybody in a loony bin. They they act differently from the way they were acting not locked up. I I mean I I just think that's human nature. If you find yourself in a restricted situation in which you're being scrutinized, most people don't like that. And you you know whether you're cuckoo or you're not cuckoo or how cuckoo you are or whether you're hearing voices or you're not hearing voices, you still know that you're now you're in a different situation and and it's it's an intrusive one. It can't fail to be an intrusive one and it can't fail to raise reactions of of feeling out of control and of, of being angry, I think. And you certainly lose a great deal of your privacy. Yeah, tremendous loss of privacy. That that really drove me nuts. <laughs> you coined a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, we, we all take for granted the ability to go into a room of our choosing and lock the door behind us so that other people cannot get in. Yeah, well, you don't have that in a mental hospital. I mean, there are even people looking in on you while you take a shower. What could you possibly do? What, are you going to you drown could kill yourself? yourself? Yeah, you could. People can hurt themselves. I mean, people who are upset and unhappy and frightened do often hurt themselves, or they certainly want to hurt themselves. And one of the main points of a hospital, of a mental hospital, I think, is suicide prevention. It's extremely important. Doctors and, and nurses take it very seriously. They do. They go to great lengths to prevent a suicide in the hospital. And there was only one, I think, the whole time I was there. It's terribly upsetting to people when there's a successful suicide. Because it, the feeling of danger among the patients, it, it's, you know, it's this paradox that you're there for a refuge and for protection, and at the same time you feel you're imprisoned. It's a real, really ambivalent experience. I think this is something that people who haven't, had experience with mental illness don't understand is is how ambivalent the person who's going through it can feel. You know, people say, was it a good experience or a bad experience for you being in the hospital? And that question just doesn't have a yes-no answer. You know, it, it's both. It's both. 
Did you feel at the time that you were in need of help and were actually getting some help by being there? Yeah, I did. I, I needed some sort of help, and I got some sort of help. I, you know, I needed other sorts of help that I couldn't get, and I wasn't in need of certain kinds of help that I was being given. But, you know, to some extent, yes, I needed refuge, and I got refuge. I think, you know, that's an important service, an important function for a, a kind of emotional sanctuary. What would have happened if you just walked out of the doctor's office that day, gotten back on the train, back on the bus, and gone mm -hmm. back to work? I don't really know. I don't really know what would have happened. I mean, they were troubled times, the 60s. They were difficult times to live in. And if you were troubled, too, if the, your internal landscape looked like the external landscape, there's a lot of chaos in and out. You know, I, I, I wonder what would have happened to me. I mean, I think I'd still be alive. Um, but I, do, I don't know. I don't know. And I think probably my not knowing is part of an answer to why I went. Why I agreed to get in that taxi and go there. The documents, your medical records now say recovered. Yes. <laughs> Whatever that means. You know, that's, that's sort of like the tag they would put you on and put on you if, when you're on Geraldo. You know, they'll have Susanna Kaysen recovered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, is it is it something that that hangs in your consciousness every day, or is it the kind of thing that you think about once in a while? Oh yeah, I was I had that experience twenty five years ago. It was more, you know. Oh yeah, I had that experience twenty five years ago until I wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, I mean, I'm. It, it thrills me. It surprises me and pleases me that the book has been a success. But I have to admit, I'm kind of bored with talking about this part of my life, which, after all, was a long time ago and is a small part of my life. Although I understand that it's very interesting to people, both those who've experienced it because they're glad to have somebody talking about it, and those who've never experienced it and they're curious about it. Well, in the final analysis, why did you write the book? Oh, I don't know. Why do you write a book? And I, I found myself writing the book. I thought, hey, this is a great story. This is a good story, and I know all about it. It happened to me, and I can really try, at any rate, to, to give an insider's view of what it's like to be in a mental hospital. I thought that might be interesting to a few people, and I, I was right. you know. And, and that was my motive. I thought, hey, that would be good. I have a good thing to tell. It was a very writerly idea, you know, and I just sat in my house in my nightgown writing it. And I didn't really think beyond, hey, not bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you decide this was going to be your own story and not a novel in which you could have invented entire characters, had some sort mm -hmm. of uh, devious plot uh, somewhere? <laughs> Well, actually, from the very start, I, it really seemed to me that part of what was interesting about it was the taboo surrounding it, and that if I were sh so shy or so self-conscious or whatever, that I wasn't willing to kind of stand up and say, you know, this happened to me, that, that some of the power of what I was saying would be diminished. And I also wanted very much to be a reliable witness. You know, that was partly a way of making a stand that I wasn't crazy. But it but it was also, I wanted to say to people, listen, I know what I'm talking about. Well, on the author tour, you would have gotten all of the, the former mental patient questions anyway, because the publicist would have put it in the bio that came with the novel. You know, the air of authenticity you hear is... 
Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have wanted that. I, you know, I can imagine somebody wanting to write a book like this, somebody who'd had the experience of being hospitalized and not wanting to make public the fact that he or she had been hospitalized. But it seemed to me that that was a very important fact to make public, that that was part of why I wanted to write the book, was to tread on that taboo ground, to sort of tread on the sore spots of society about this topic. I, I, I mean, I have to admit I was partly motivated by, I know I can bother you and I'd like to bother you which motivates a lot of writers, I think. <laughs> Girl Interrupted was made into a major motion picture in 1999 with Winona Ryder starring as Susanna. Susanna Kaysen is 73 now, and you can find easy Amazon links to her books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure to listen to my interviews with two other prominent women who have suffered mental illness while in their youth. My 1987 interview with actress Patty Duke. The counterpoint to the, the negative stuff that was going on in my personal life at the time was that here, every night, I got to beat up a grown-up. And a whole audience filled with grown-ups applauded. And my 1993 conversation with the woman whose story was told in a 1950s-era movie called The Three Faces of Eve, Chris Costner Sizemore. There are no gaps anymore. And I know who I am. And I, I like the person I am. And I feel comfortable being one person. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, she was the middle child in a sister act, but had quite a bit of success on her own as well. My 1993 conversation with country music's Louise Mandrell. I love being on stage. And I, I'll come off a of stage and I'm back to, you know, boring old Louise. And, and my friends will say, we want to go out with her, the one on stage, the one that's so much fun. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. After this short break, a trigger warning, Susanna Kaysen talks about suicide. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Girl Interrupted author Susanna Kaysen.